Well, good morning, New Life Manitou. How are you guys doing today? Doing good? I guess I should start by introducing myself since I am a new face around here. My name's Eddie Hoagland, and I serve as the Young Adults Pastor at New Life North Campus. And uh, we've been here since the month of February. My family and I moved here, and so we're pretty new to the area. We moved here after being in Chicago for 11 years. We were serving at a church there called Harvest Bible Chapel. And uh, it's me, my wife, Christina, who's here. There's my daughter, Daniela. And then we have two more, Raphael and Fiona are downstairs. And uh, yeah, so we, we lived in Chicago for 11 years. And then before that, Christina and I met at Liberty University, where uh, we both went to school there out in Virginia. And then before that, I, uh, I grew up in Mexico City, Mexico, because my parents were missionaries there, and they're still there. They're at the same church that I grew up in. And, uh, and so I'm, you know, I have dual citizenship, grew up in Mexico, but also American. Dad's American, mom's Mexican. And if you grow up in Mexico, you grow to love Mexican Coke. Um, anybody know about this? Okay, yes. Mexican Coke is a thing, and you need to know about it. Uh, it's a little bit different, only because we use cane sugar instead of refined sugar, so it has a little bit of a darker flavor. So if you're ever in the grocery store and you see those glass bottles that are more expensive, that's Mexican Coke. And, uh, and it's a big deal in Mexico, and, uh, and I'm so thankful that it has reached Colorado Springs, that I don't have to leave that behind. I can, I can buy that here. And so just, uh, let's just take like a little bit of a straw poll. I'm kind of curious, how many of you would prefer Coke, and then option two is going to be Pepsi, and then option three is going to be all the other brands, so RC Cola, whatever else. If that's your favorite, you can vote for that. And those are the only three options, okay? Coke, Pepsi, other brand. There's no like, oh, I'm more of a coconut water kind of person. No, none of that. You have to pick one of the three, all right? So let's see, who would prefer Coke? Ooh, okay, then Pepsi. Mm. And then other brands. Okay. All right, Coke definitely won in this room, at least in, in Manitou Springs. It seems like Coca-Cola is the thing. And, and you know, for decades, Coca-Cola was basing all their marketing on the fact that they were the original one. They were the, they were the real one, the true thing. And, and maybe you saw this for decades. Their marketing looked like this. They were saying that it's the real thing. Coca-Cola is the real thing. Everybody else is a knockoff, right? Only Coca-Cola is the real thing. They, they started 12 years earlier than Pepsi, and they wanted to make sure that the world knew that they were the real cola. And now, whether or not Coca-Cola is the real thing is pretty inconsequential to our lives. But what if drinking Coca-Cola and only Coca-Cola could cure cancer? What if we knew that drinking Coca-Cola could cure cancer, but Pepsi would not do that? Well, then suddenly we care a lot about making sure that we're drinking Coca-Cola. And that's what I wanna talk about today. I wanna to talk about the one true gospel. The one true gospel. And this one true gospel is life changing. It, it will change your life, but you have to hear what it really is and what it originally was for it to be life changing. So let's, uh, let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you so much for this time that we get to spend together in your presence, uh, first worshiping you in the name of your son, you are so worthy of that, and we're thankful that we get to do this here together as your people. God, I ask that you would just uh, guide the next few minutes that we are here in your word, that you would be the one speaking. God, we're ready to listen, and we want to hear from you. Would you speak today? And we ask that you would do that in the name of your son, Jesus. All God's people said, 
Amen. Well, last week, Pastor Joe gave us an introduction to the entire book of Galatians, as we're going to be in this series, and he talked about how Paul is writing to these churches in the area of Galatia, and then Paul quickly jumps into addressing some of the issues that he was seeing there. So today we're going to study a portion of Galatians chapter 1. If you want to turn there, if you have your Bible, Galatians chapter 1. You can also go there on your phone. And, uh, and if you don't have either of those, we, do, we will have it on the screen. But I would love for you to hold it. There's something special about when you see it, something that's in your hands. And uh, the book starts with the standard opening of a letter from Paul and the men and women who are serving with him. Verse 1 says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever Amen. All right, so that's how it starts, which is pretty standard. But right after verse five, there is going to be a shift. <laughs> it is going to change in tone. And, uh, and so let me just illustrate it this way. Here, brother in the front row, what's your name? James. James. Yeah. It's nice to meet you. I'm Eddie. I've never met James before, but let's just imagine for a second, James, that we do know each other and that we've hung out a bunch. If I went over to James's house with my family, I would knock on the door, I'd shake his hand, I'd say, how are you doing, James? He'd be like, everything's great, man. And then you'd ask me, how are you doing? And I would be like, oh, doing so good. You know, last week, Manitou had this uh, pool party. I took my kids. It was a little bit more of a snow cone party, um, but, uh, but it was really great, which, by the way, I didn't go to that. I just saw that on Instagram and thought that was awesome. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I tell you that story, and then imagine, James, that right after I tell you that, I say, hey, and we need to talk about some things. You see how like, even in the room right now, the, the tone shifted, okay? And that's what's happening here in Galatians chapter one. I want you to feel the emotions of what's happening because these letters, this letter specifically was written to these churches and they would read them publicly aloud. So can you imagine like hearing from Paul and they're like reading verses one through five and then suddenly boom comes verse six. Now listen to what verse six says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That is a change in tone, okay? It's not grace and peace to you. So I can't believe this is happening. What's going on? He's saying, I'm astonished. That's another way of saying, like, I'm blown away. I cannot believe this is happening. And then notice he says that you're so quickly deserting him. He's saying, I, I not only can't believe this is happening, I can't believe it's happening so fast. Because Paul had just planted these churches in the area of Galatia, and the gospel is already under attack. Which, side note, isn't it always that, that way? That's how it goes. A, a move of God triggers a move of the enemy. You see this all the time. A move of God triggers a move of the enemy. It reminds me what Paul said when he wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. He says this, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. God's doing something. I, I see an opportunity here of what God wants to ha have happen. And there are many adversaries. There are many adversaries. The move of God triggers a move of the enemy. And so that's why I have a little bit of good news, bad news to share with you guys here today. And I'm going to share it through this sentence. And that is that the enemy attacks what is a threat to him. So this is bad news in the sense that uh, the enemy attacks. The enemy attacks what is a threat to him. And that might not be the encouraging word you came to church to hear today, but it is true. And, and the enemy does attack what is a threat to him. But it's also good news because the enemy attacks 
What is a threat to him? What is a threat to him are the things that he's going to attack and the one true gospel is a threat to the enemy. He sees what it does in people's lives. He sees how it sets people free and he does not want this message to go out and that's why I know that New Life Manitou is a threat to the enemy. New Life Manitou is a threat to the enemy because by God's grace, the one true gospel is what's being proclaimed here and by God's grace, that will always be the case that the one true gospel is proclaimed here in this place. And what the enemy wants is for every single one of you to forget this one true gospel. He wants to do everything he can to lead you astray. But that's why I'm here today. I know I'm new around here, but I have a job today and that is to stand in defiance of that effort. I want you to hear very clearly what the gospel is. And I want you to hear maybe some of the traps that are being set so that we can be led astray and we want to stand in defiance against that. And that's the first point of this message. We need to remember the call of the gospel. We need to remember the call of the gospel. Paul is saying, you guys forgot, you deserted him who called you. And instead of doing that, we need to remember him who called us and and remember what that gospel was. Now, um, when we say the word gospel today, it means so many other things, right? It's a genre of music. Um, there's also Southern gospel music. Uh, and, and even someone who doesn't believe in God would say that is gospel truth. So there are many, many uses of this word and I just wanna define it more because if we don't know what we're saying, then over time it will lose its meaning. And I don't wanna do that with the word gospel. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. The word gospel means good news. And uh, so when we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. So why is Jesus good Good news, that's a fantastic question. Well, let's go back to the beginning. God creates the world in six days. And then, I don't know, maybe one or two days after that, humanity sins against God. And before we're too hard on Adam and Eve, I don't think anyone of us would have done any better. Uh, We've all sinned against God. And so God's relationship with humanity is severed. But God then makes a covenant with a man named Abraham that he's gonna make a nation out of him and that he would be a lineage that has been blessed by God. Then God makes a promise to King David that from his lineage, the Messiah would come. So the Messiah is the anointed one, the promised one to Israel that he would come to save the people of Israel. They're expecting him. And then Jesus comes and he dies on the cross and he makes a covenant with his body and his blood to offer salvation from sin for those who believe. But many of the Jewish uh, people rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They did not believe in him as the one promised from God. But God has saved those who believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And the gospel, this good news, is available both to Jewish people and to Gentiles, like me. I'm not a Jewish person, and it's available to me as well as a Gentile. We're being grafted into the olive branch. That's the picture that Paul uses in Romans and, uh, and now we get to experience a relationship with God through this new covenant of Jesus. So that's good news. That is really, really good news. And the good news is that God made a way. God made a way for us to be in relationship with him. We're the ones who sinned, every single one of us. God's standard is perfection and no one's meeting it. Just in case you were wondering, none of us meet this standard of perfection. We have all sinned against God. And yet God's the one who made a way for us to know him. And that's why there's so many people today, they're like, ah, how could it be that there's only one way to God? Like that that kind of bothers me, right? Like God made a way, but I don't like how he made a way. Do you you understand how foolish that thought is? Like imagine for one second that we're, we're dropped in the ocean 
and we cannot swim. So if you can swim, just pretend you can't. <laughs> You're dropped in the ocean. We're dying, okay? We're, we're swallowing large amounts of salt water, about to die, and then someone throws us a life preserver, and we're like, oh, but I don't like that, that it's white. I'd, I'd rather it be red, you know? See how foolish that sounds. It's such a ridiculous thought. Why? Because if you're dying, you're thankful that there is a way for you to be saved. That's what's accurate. And that's what happened. What's good news is God made a way. (laughs) There is a way back to God. That is the really, really good news of Jesus Christ. And, And I love how Paul boils it down in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, when he says, for I decided to know nothing among you except, here it is, Jesus Christ and him crucified. I love that summary. What's the good news? There's lots of good news in Jesus Christ, but there is a summary of it. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the work that he does on the cross, and we can say it in this sentence, Jesus Christ died in your place so that you could be forgiven. That's really good news. He takes the the punishment. He takes the payment for the sin, and he dies in our place so that we can be forgiven and we need to remember the call of that gospel. You know, when Christina and I got married, uh, we went to visit her grandparents who live in northern Florida, which is, you know, there's no Mickey Mouse in northern Florida. It's like, uh, it's, it's like you know, forest and, and swamplands and all that kind of stuff. And we love going there because there's nothing much to do. And uh, all we do is just eat and talk and maybe a movie occasionally. Uh, but we were hanging out with the grandparents and they're a lovely couple, godly couple, love the Lord, serve the Lord. And uh, I think it was the first time I went to visit them that her grandfather shared, um, the topic of salvation came up and he started talking about when he came to believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the one sent from God to save his people. And uh, he told the story of how he went to church as a young boy and he heard the message, the good news of Jesus Christ and he was so overwhelmed he had to leave the building and go running and he ended up by a creek where you could hear the water, kind of like a, a waterfall effect. And he knew in that moment that what God was saying to him is, is because you believe in Jesus Christ, uh, I am washing you clean with the sound of the water in the background. I'm washing you clean. And when he told me that story, he was somewhere in his 60s, and he was telling me that story with tears coming down his face. I just think that's the perfect example of someone who remembers the call of the gospel, who as, as years progress, I think his thankfulness is increasing, not decreasing, not thinking of it as just like, oh yeah, that happened in the past. No, when it really happens, when you believe in Jesus Christ and you understand what he saves you from, that thankfulness should be ever increasing inside of us. So the first thing we need to do is we need to remember the call of the gospel. Second, we need to identify the distortions of the gospel. That's the second thing we need to do. We need to identify the distortions of the gospel. Verse seven continues saying this, After Paul said that they're turning to a different gospel, he says, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. When he says another gospel, not that there is one, um, that's because what he's trying to bring attention to is that they're believing something that's not the gospel and they're treating it as if it's the gospel. So you could almost call it a so-called gospel. It's not really a gospel. It's not good news. It's not gonna save you, but we're calling it and you're treating it like it's the gospel and, uh, and this is why it's really important that we identify what the true gospel is, because I completely believe that if you can't identify what the gospel is, how in the world are you going to be able to identify the distortions of the gospel? You must know what it is in order to know what the distortions are. So today, 
We believe the same good news that Paul was proclaiming to these churches in Galatia some 2,000 years ago. And that is believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. But then comes the distortion. And uh, I don't know if you've ever wondered what electric guitar players on worship teams are stepping on during the worship set. Uh, If you're not a musician, you might be like, what's going on there? There's normally pedals in front of the electric guitars and he's clicking things and you're like, I don't, maybe you don't know what that is. Well, those are all effects that he's changing the sound of his guitar with. And one of the category of those effects is called distortion um, or overdrive. And what that pedal does is it takes the original signal of the electric guitar. And then what it does is it adds overtones to it and, and to the point where it creates the desired effect. So the, the reason I take the time to explain that is I want you to understand that distortion is additive. It takes the original and then it throws some more things on top of it. That's what distortion is, and that's exactly what's happening here in these churches in Galatia. They're taking the real thing or part of the real thing, and then they're just adding things on top, and what they're saying is you need to believe in Jesus and do these things. And for these churches in Galatia specifically, the do these things was to follow Torah, to follow the law, to, you know, if you want to be saved, you need to believe in Jesus, and if you're a man, you need to be circumcised, or you need to follow these dietary restrictions, and so on and so forth. So a distortion, a summary of a distortion, just think of it that way. A distortion is Jesus plus whatever else. (laughs) Jesus plus is a distortion of the true gospel. The real true gospel is Jesus. It's just Jesus. Believe in Jesus, and you will be saved. And the reason I take the time to to talk about this topic is because I believe that the most sinister attack on truth is distortion. See, I know there's people out there trying to convince us that Jesus never even existed or that he never claimed to be God. I, I know, all that's out there and that for sure is an attack on truth. But the most sinister attack is distortion because it tries to woo you in with a part of the truth or the truth there, and then they add things on top of it. And that's why it's so dangerous. And this is why we need to identify these distortions. So I felt led to share today with you three distortions of the gospel. Um, Because even though today we're not teaching, you know, I've never heard anyone say, believe in Jesus and then also follow uh, Torah. I don't hear that today, but the concept of we believe in Jesus and do these things is definitely still alive today. And these are distortions of the gospel. So uh, the first one I wanted to share is this, believe in Jesus and do good things to be saved. You need to do good things to be saved. And uh, if I were to pick one distortion that is most prevalent in the United States of America, I'd probably pick this one. If you talk to the average person, they're like, are you gonna go to heaven or hell if you die? They're like, I'd go to heaven, why? Because I'm a pretty good person. (laughs) Like, I'm not a murderer, I haven't done bad, bad things. Yeah, I've done some bad things, but I'm a pretty good person. And they've convinced themselves that because they do good things, because they occasionally have gone to church, um, or they believe in God and Jesus in general, uh, they think that they are saved. And that's a distortion of the gospel. That's exactly what the enemy wants them to think, that that they're fine, that because they're pretty good people, that they're fine. Well, that is not an understanding of the gospel. The gospel teaches us that we aren't saved because we do good things. We are doing good things because we're saved. You can't go get those things in the wrong order. It's really, really important. You're saved. And then, of course, good things are going to flow out of that, out of us. But that's not what's saving us. And and so that's why we need to be aware of that distortion. Next distortion is uh, believe in Jesus when convenient. When convenient, this is everywhere too. It's like, yeah, I go to church. I have this experience. They say, oh, yeah, of course I believe in Jesus. But then... 
you know, maybe what the Bible teaches starts bumping into the way you live. And now it's like, well, maybe I don't, I don't have to believe that part of Jesus or I don't have to receive that message of Jesus. Well, that's not the belief that the Bible describes. When you believe in Jesus, you, you believe in, with this life-changing belief. You're saying everything he said, I want to learn it and I want to live according to it. That's what the belief in the Bible looks like. And so the distortion is, yeah, believe in Jesus, but just when you want to, <laughs> when it feels good or when you'd like to. That's not the true gospel. The true gospel changes your life forever. And it's a beautiful thing. Sometimes it's a little painful, but it's always beautiful. Third distortion, believe in Jesus as one of many ways to be saved. This is the gospel of tolerance, right? Like it's, yeah, it's true, but it's like, it's whatever you want because how could a God reject people who are so sincere in their religion and their belief? Why would God ever reject those people? Well, this, this distortion of the gospel is actually intellectually incongruent. It doesn't make sense because if you believe in Jesus, Jesus is the one who said, no one comes to the father except through me. <laughs> No one gets to God except through me. Jesus was very clear that it is an exclusive thing. And that's because we have the wrong perspective. I already mentioned it earlier. We should be thankful that there is a way. And here we are trying to argue with God. There should be many ways. And God's like, what are you talking about? I made a way. That's the good news. I made a way and Jesus is the only way. And so if the enemy can convince us that Jesus is the way, but he's like one of many, then he's distorted the one true gospel. And that is not what Jesus came to teach us. Then we continue in verse eight and nine, Paul says this, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, anytime there is repetition in scripture, you need to pay attention on the emphasis that it's bringing. It, you should hear Paul getting louder as these verses continue. It's like, he, he's, he's getting louder as he's writing it is what I hear. And he's saying, even if an angel comes out of heaven, if that angel says something different than what we taught you, don't listen to that angel. And that's absolutely true today. If an angel were to step out of heaven and stand right here where I'm standing, and then after we're all like freaking out that there's an angel here, and if that angel says anything else but Jesus Christ and him crucified, we're not gonna listen to that angel. That is not the true gospel. That's a distortion of the gospel. And so we need to always emphasize, it doesn't matter who's speaking it, what matters is what they're speaking. And it must be Jesus Christ and him crucified. All right, so we remember the call of the gospel. We identify the distortions of the gospel. And then finally this, point three, if you do those first two things, that will result in you being released from people-pleasing. Be released from people-pleasing. That's where the passage leads. Verse 10 says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, when you study the Bible, you need to pay attention to the first word of a verse because that's gonna tell us, is he connecting the thought or is he separating the thought? And there you see that he opens with the word for. So he's, he's saying, I'm continuing my thought for, I, am I now seeking the approval of man? What Paul is implying is that distortions of the gospel are fueled by our desire to please men. This is absolutely true. Bottom line, 
we all struggle with the fact that the good news is foolishness to those who don't believe it. And this is difficult for us because some of those people who don't believe this good news are people we love dearly. And this is difficult. And, and we want to please them. We, we love them so much. We want them to receive this good news. But that is their decision, not ours. So my encouragement to you is to acknowledge the tension that exists between you and those people. It's a tension that's real. We love them. We want what's good for them. But they don't believe this one true gospel. And so my encouragement is that you would let that tension lead you towards compassion and lead you towards prayer. But whatever you do, do not let that tension lead you towards changing the gospel so that it's easier for them. Don't do that. It's not for their good in the end if you do that. I believe some of you, what's in the way of you sharing the good news of Jesus to those who you love is that you are more concerned about pleasing them than you are about pleasing God. And I'm not saying that you need to speak in the harshest, most aggressive way possible to those who do not believe. I'm not in favor of that. I'm not telling anyone here they need to go picketing at some funeral. I think all that stuff is nonsense. The reason it's nonsense is because that's not the way Jesus shared his own good news. You know what we do when we, when we study the way Jesus shared the good news of the gospel? His, you know what he led with? He led with compassion. That's the first thing you'll see throughout the gospels. What does he feel? He feels what they feel. He, he empathizes with them. He says, I feel the pain you feel because we are part of a broken, sinful planet. That's how Jesus leads. And then he's tender with them. <laughs> he speaks tenderly towards those who don't believe. And then, because he loves them, he shares the good news that he's making a way. He made a way. Jesus Christ and him crucified. So to close, I just ask you, first, do you believe it? Maybe you've never come to that place where you say, I I believe this. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross in my place so that I could be forgiven. Well, today can be that day. And and if that's what you want to say, today's the day I'm I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to make a mark and say, I'm going to move forward and learn everything Jesus taught and submit to that because I believe that he is my savior. Or maybe you already believe, but I think it's worth asking, do you see a distortion of the gospel near you? Just think through what's going on in your life, the conversations you have. Do you see a distortion somewhere around you? Because you need to identify that so that you can let it stand apart from the one true gospel. And then finally, I think it's worth asking, are you being driven by people-pleasing? Maybe that's love playing out in an incorrect way. We do love them, but our job is not to please them. Our job is to please God. So we need to share this good news with compassion, tenderness, but share this life-changing good news. Let's pray together. Father, our hearts are thankful because you made a way. We are the ones who sinned against you and yet you made a way for us. We thank you that you are good. We believe that you are good. So no matter what we have to face in this life, we hold on to the truth that you're good because you showed us your faithfulness by sending Jesus.
You showed us how different from us you are because we're faithless. We, we break our promises. And yet when you said that you would send the Messiah through the lineage of David, you did exactly that. And because you did that, we now experience life and life to the fullest. Holy Spirit, whatever it is that was spoken today that is convicting us, we just want to respond and say yes. Bring it to mind. Help us to lovingly share this good news because we are people who have been changed by the one true gospel. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.